Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Manger Memories, we've been in the series, this is actually part three. Manger Memories take us back to the birth of Jesus, who's the promised redeemer of mankind. And we want to start with Luke 2.7. Luke 2.7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And let's take a look at this passage together. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you. Now we can take this moment and reflect. We can take this moment and look to you and look back in time to see this marvelous event that occurred in the city of Bethlehem when Jesus Christ was born. Father, I pray that you give us understanding hearts and give us greater revelation of who this Jesus is and what he came to do to impact humanity that meets us in this present moment Right now, Father, we thank you for showing yourself strong on our behalf. And Father, we pray for our nation that you are moving by your spirit upon the hearts of people, the hearts of our leaders during this time, so that we can truly celebrate the true meaning of Christmas this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You know, I, how many of you ever asked the question or just thought about it, what is the actual year that Jesus was born? Because if you look at the calendar, there was not a year zero. It simply went from 2 B.C., 1 B.C., 1 A.D., 2 A.D. That's kind of how the calendar flowed. But in addition to the Bible, there's a number of historical non-Christian documents such as Jewish and Greek or Roman sources that have been used in historical search and research to try to uh, give an analysis of the time that Jesus was possibly born. And and we referred to the birth of Jesus as the the nativity. Uh, We realized, and I did a little bit of study on my own here, virtually all modern historians agree that Jesus existed and regard his baptism and his crucifixion as historical events and assume the approximate ranges for these events can be estimated. Uh, Most scholars assume a date of birth between 6 and 4 B.C. Now, to estimate the date of birth of Jesus, of the birth of Jesus, actually based on the accounts of his birth that we see from the Gospels, in reference to King Herod's reign. Other factors are also considered. If you want to do further study on this, uh, we have a a website behind me. It's called thereasonabletheology.org. And there's a section there in the year Jesus actually was born. And so you'll love it, okay? So you can do that on your own. Not right now. Don't look that up now, but uh, later, okay? Now, we realize that the story of redemption began long before the night in the city of Bethlehem when Jesus was actually born. It started back in the Garden of Eden, right after the fall of man. And I want to direct you to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And we see here, this is the first messianic promise that a Messiah would come to redeem humanity. 
And this was right after Eve acknowledged the fact that she was deceived. Now, in the fall, it's interesting because when uh, the Lord confronted Adam, Adam shifted the blame. He said, you know, when God asked him, why did you partake of, of the fruit that I forbid you to partake of from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Adam's response was, and you can read this in Genesis chapter 3, he said, God, it's this woman that you gave me. She gave me to eat. So he blamed God and the woman. But when God turned to Eve and said, what did you do? Then Eve responded, and she was honest. She was sincere. She said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she took ownership ownership of her deception, that she fell prey to the deception of the enemy. And so then God's response to her in verse 15, we read in Genesis 3, I will put enmity, and, and God is speaking now this, at this point to the serpent, which is Satan or Lucifer, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so this is in reference to what occurred on the cross, which was a lot of time later in this historical narrative. Now, in part one of this series, my lovely wife, Pastor Deb, talked about Mary's obedience and her willingness to accept her calling to give birth to Jesus, the promised Messiah. See, her virgin birth was a scandal in her day. The fact that she uh, was pregnant and didn't know a man, that was like probably highly skeptical and doubted and certainly a scandal. But yet she embraced the message of the angel Gabriel by her testimony that we read in Luke 138. And it reads... In Luke 138, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What an amazing response to this message that Gabriel brought to her, that she was the chosen one, God's chosen one, to bear uh, Jesus and give birth to Messiah. Now, we need to learn this message from Mary. And let me ask you this question this morning. Are you willing to say to God, let it be done to me according to your word? Are you willing to embrace the word of God, the living word in your life and run with it? I I encourage that you do because you will be blessed. Now, the fact is because sometimes people think that God can't use them, that God can't do something significant and meaningful with their life or through their life. The fact is God can use you. Because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so Mary was carrying a miracle. And guess what? So are you. And if you are a believer, according to Colossians 1.27, Christ is in you. He has taken up residence in you. So he is in you. You are carrying Messiah within. And he wants to live out of your life. Because he's taken residence in us. Did you know that you're the temple of the living God? That's why God did away with the temple in Jerusalem. He doesn't need that anymore. Because he's taken up residence in us, those who put their faith and trust in him. And so what miracle are you carrying? Well, it's significant when you understand that Christ is in you. 
Are you willing to birth Jesus to your world? Are you willing to defy logic to step into your obedience or to obedience? And that, that was kind of the recap of my wife's message. She did a wonderful job. Then last week in part two of the series, John Titus brought the message about Joseph and his responsibility in this scenario. And his role was significant because he became the adoptive father of Jesus. And, and I tell you, what a responsibility and what a, a man of integrity that was able to take on that responsibility. Uh, John talked about how we need a cultural shift to a focus on the kingdom of God so that we can have a kingdom-minded outlook. Uh, so often we are focused on the things of this natural, but God wants to give you a new outlook. He wants you to see things from his vantage point. You see, my vantage point right now is different than yours because I'm in a different place. God wants you to be in a place where you can have his vantage point. The Bible says we've been raised up together with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. What a vantage point is that? God wants you to see things from a whole new perspective. Don't limit yourself by what life has around you in this natural realm. God wants you to have insight, revelation, understanding from his perspective. See, don't shortchange yourself and limit yourself in low-level living. God has invited us, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep going here. Um, something that uh, John Titus said last week that was so wonderful. And by the way, he's ministering in Chicago this morning, so we just pray God's blessing upon him as he shows the word. It is Mary who was carrying the dream, but it was Joseph who was carrying the journey, and the journey involved sacrifice. He showed how the church is a place where you conceive God's dream to birth God's greatness in you. And as I look upon this auditorium and those of you that are viewing us online, there is greatness inside of you that is yet to be discovered. And, and, and I, I believe that God is wanting to reveal his greatness. He wants to reveal his dream to you. So the church is a place where we unlearn the identity that the world is trying to impose upon us and force on us, and we embrace the identity that God is speaking over us. God wants to put his dream in your heart. He really does. And I believe that dream is a dream of revival, a dream that will impact this world. As bad as things may appear, it doesn't have to stay that way. I believe that God wants to move in this time. 2021 is going to be a year of revival. We're going to see an outpouring of God's spirit like never before. And I'm, I'm just preparing my heart for it. As we begin, begin 21 days of prayer, let that be a time of you really searching and seeking the heart of God for what he has for you individually and what he has for us corporately as a body. So my message this morning, what I want to share with you is Jesus from the manger to the throne. I'm talking about the third character in this series, the main character, Jesus. Now, when we talk about a throne, because that's a, a place of destiny, that's a place that just, you don't move into it right away. I, I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was a favored son of his father, Jacob. 
He was sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of him. So he became a slave. And, and then from slavery, he went into prison because he was falsely accused. But from the prison, he went to the throne where he began to rule the nation of Egypt. And so there's a journey. There's a process to get from one place to the other. And Jesus started in a manger in Bethlehem, but he was destined for the throne. Now, a throne is a place or a seat of authority and ruling power. It's a place of honor. It's a place of influence. It's a place of dominion. And we see in Colossians chapter 1, 16, and, and turn there with me if you would. Colossians 1, 16, it says, For by him all things were created, and this is speaking in reference to Jesus, the creator, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So this is speaking of thr there are thrones plural, but there's a throne singular. And there is one who sits on the throne that rules the universe. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he told her that her son was destined for the throne. And we can see that in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. And, and the angel Gabriel stated and said to Mary, he will be great. This is in, in reference to Jesus, her son that she's carrying. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this was a powerful word to Mary. Can you imagine the realization that she's carrying within her womb a king? And, and that, at the time, Herod was the king. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. And so that was a threat to King Herod. And, and we'll find out a little bit about that in just a moment. Now, realize that the event of Jesus' birth has a generational impact. And it's relevant even now in this moment and will be forever in the future. Mary's song of praise, known as the Magnificat, states in, in verse 50 of Luke chapter 1, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. We realize that God has not forsaken this generation. And the theme for this year has been generations and what God is wanting to do to impact this generation. We are not a forgotten generation. Now let's look, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2, because we're going to take up this narrative of, of uh, King Herod and, and this interesting character, but also see how this plays out with this story as we talk about manger memories. And, and the, what I want to ask this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? See, this was the battle of the kings. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, starting at verse 1, let's read this. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, let me just say this because we have kind of... Um, traditional thinking when it comes to the Christmas story. Uh, the Bible says they were wise men. 
they could have been kings, but the Bible states that they were wise men. So, and the mag, they were the magi. Actually, historically, they were the magi. And the magi would travel in caravans of up to 70 people. So it wasn't just three dudes on camels, okay? <laughs> I mean, this was a caravan. So when they came into the city, it got the attention of the community. It got the attention of King Herod. Because these guys, okay, what's coming down? What's going on here? Okay. And so, and this was a question they asked in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And I need to stop right there. Did you know that this is the second time we're entering a season where those planets are aligning for the same similar star that was seen back then? It's, on, it's upon us now. And my wife just informed me just a little bit ago that we're, we're going to have the greatest meteor shower of the year coming up tomorrow, right? So you guys, sky gazers out there, hopefully there'll be a clear night and you might see some interesting things up there. I, I keep getting sidetracked here, okay? Uh, so where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east it, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, this caused quite the conspiracy in the community because, okay, what's going on? There's another king? All right. See, an earthly kingdom was threatened and it had to do with who will ultimately sit on the throne of Israel. And Matthew going on in chapter 2, verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them when the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now notice verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, he had a private meeting with them, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me, so that I, that I too may come and worship him. Now, he was lying, right? He wasn't going to come and worship him. Verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house. Oh, house? What about the stable? House? Okay. Some more tradition that we have to dismantle here. Notice the scripture says child. And if you look at the Greek, it's more of a toddler. It's not an infant. And they went to the house where he was. See, from the first appearing of the star, they had a little bit of time to travel and plan their trip. And Jesus was probably two years old by this time. Okay? Uh, as, as you see this all play out. Uh, because why would Herod have all children two years and under uh, executed the, the, the boys? Uh, so let's, let's, let's read on. Um, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, it doesn't say there were three kings, but there were three gifts. And I think that's where we get the idea of, of three wise men or three kings, because there were three gifts. But we have no indication through Scripture how many wise men actually showed up to Jesus' house. Okay? You with me? Verse 13, And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Wow. Isn't it wonderful to have that kind of connection with God, that kind of insight, that kind of warning? And, and, and God gave that to Joseph as the adoptive father of Jesus to protect him. That was his responsibility to take action. He could not ignore that dream. He had to act upon it. And he took, verse 14, he took, he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Wow. Now, while the birth of Jesus brought joy into this world, it was a worst-case scenario for King Herod, wasn't it? The idea of one born king became the greatest threat to his kingdom because he wasn't born to be king. That was ne not necessarily Herod's destiny. He achieved that kingdom through other means, okay? Through deceit, through corruption, and whatever, okay? So King Herod was a desperate and very insecure man. He was so desperate to maintain his throne that he murdered anyone who deemed to be a threat, even his own family. He had multiple wives, of course, he had one of them murdered, killed. He had three of his own children killed, put to death. You know, what kind of dad is that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it is to no surprise that Herod was terrified when men from the east arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Uh, Herod perceived this as a threat and plotted to kill Jesus. Um, the birth of Jesus was a complete threat to a wicked king. His real goal was to destroy the Christ child, the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world. And, and so he was motivated by the enemy to try to disrupt God's uh, redemption plan. But Jesus was destined for the throne in Revelation 19.6, and I wanna, I'm, I'm sharing a lot of scripture because I want you to see this very clearly from the word of God. Revelation 19.6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Now this is fast forward to the future, okay? Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God the Almighty reigns. Praise God. Now this is a declaration. We can declare this right now. Because he rules and reigns. And Jesus was destined for the throne to rule and reign 
as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19.6. On his robe and on his thigh, he had a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What a contrast from a harmless baby born in the manger. And let me just tell you this. Uh, the world can celebrate Christmas because it's about an innocent baby being born. And everybody loves newborn babies. You know, we have a grandson who's now about three weeks old. His name is Beck. And uh, Michaela sent a picture this morning of him in his a little Christmas elf outfit. He's cute as can be. We should have put it up on the slide. But anyway, um, we can get excited about an innocent baby being born. But people have a harder time when you're dealing with a resurrected Lord and King who's seated on the throne. And, and so, you know, the world has to deal with that and reconcile that. Now, we see when he returns in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's going to sit on his glorious throne. He's going to take his place to rule and reign over this earth. And realize, uh, if, if you really understand the Bible and look at Revelation, uh, the future place of our dwelling is going to be on a restored, in a region, restored earth. I'm trying to think of the right word. He's going to rejuvenate this earth. Everything is going to be burned up, then he's going to restore, recreate this earth, which will be our future dwelling place. Yeah, just read it. It's all in Revelation, okay? A revelation. You see, heaven, let me, this is another rabbit trail. Heaven is just a temporary place. Why do you think Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because heaven is going to be on this earth. That's God's will. That's his plan, okay? Um, yeah, okay, that's some more theology. Um, anyway, another, another message, another time. Revelation 4.2 says, At once I was in the Spirit. This is John the Apostle, and he's caught up in the Spirit. He's getting this revelation from Jesus. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. So this is a picture of the future, but it's a picture of Jesus. Now, something, I, I want to shift this message because we're talking about Jesus, but what does that have to do with you? The fact and what it has to do with you is that you now have access to the throne. You have access to approach the throne of God where Jesus is seated, okay? And we must understand this truth and this privilege as believers. And sad to say, not every Christian understands this truth. Let me talk about access for a moment. Did you know that you have access to the Father? You have access into God's presence? Access is the ability, the right, or permission to approach, to enter, to speak with, or to use something. It is admittance. It is approach. It is to pass to from a place 
to approach or communicate with a person. Having access is important. You know, having access to the throne of God is very incredible. And we see, turn with me there if you would in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. This is speaking again of Jesus as our high priest. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, Jesus can identify with every issue you have to deal with, with every heartache, with every uh, dis, uh, discouragement, disappointment, whatever you're dealing with, he can sympathize with it. He understands it. He knows it well. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Why? Because he lived and he had to deal with temptation, just like you live and have to deal with temptation. Jesus lived with temptation and conquered it for you and for me. But notice verse 16, because this is so significant. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People, God has given you and me access to the throne, to the place where he rules and reigns. And it's interesting, in this passage, it, it identifies it as a throne of grace. So many people think of a throne as a place of judgment. It is. But God always extends grace before he reveals his judgment. Because if we don't receive his grace, we will face his judgment. But we have an invitation to approach the throne of grace. We need to take God up on this. When you're going through challenging times, when you're dealing with things you don't have answers for, approach the throne of grace. And notice it says with confidence. One translation says with boldness. You don't have to come, oh, I'm coming by you, God. No, we can, Lord, I'm coming before the throne of your grace. In this moment, I have a need. I'm desperate. I need your touch. Yeah. Here's some other scriptures on access. Romans 5, 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, what is this thing called grace in which we stand? Well, grace is simply, you know, some people see it as just God's favor, how we overlook things in our life. But grace is much more than just favor. Grace is his enabling power. Grace enables us to do what we can't do in our own strength, in our own limited ability. Grace empowers you to live a life for God. Grace empowers you to walk out your journey to fulfill the destiny that he's determined for your life. Okay? Another scripture on access. Ephesians 2, verses 18 and 19. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. Wow. 
See, under the old covenant, if you got too close to God because of the sin nature and all that, you were toast. And the tabernacle that was set up in the wilderness, only the high priest once a year could go in there. And after he confessed all of his sins, after he did all the ceremony stuff, he could go there to offer the blood for the sacrifice. But Jesus did that for us. And now we're clothed with his righteousness so that we can approach him at any time. We have access to the Father. Verse 19, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, some people think you have to die before you become a saint and you have to have all this protocol about you before you, you're named a saint. But according to this passage, you, you become a saint when you're in Christ Jesus, right? That's, that's pretty amazing. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Yeah, we're, we're hanging out with, with all these, these wonderful people, right? Um, Ephesians 3.12, another verse on access. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we need to exercise our access and come into his presence. Now in Christ Jesus, we are destined to rule and reign with him. See, that's, it's interesting to know that what Jesus receives and obtains, he shares with us. He doesn't do it for himself. He does it for us. Everything he did was for you. To save you, to redeem you, to give you an inheritance, to make you a joint heir with him. The Bible says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. That word joint heir means equal heirs. He shares with us what he's obtained. But he paid the price for it. And he gets the credit for it. And we praise him for it. We couldn't do it ourselves. So many people are trying to attain what Jesus has already obtained for them. So Revelation 9, 5 verses 9 and 10. And we're going to sing some new songs when we get in that place where we're in his presence, right? Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This includes all ethnic groups, Right? Verse 10, and he made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Whoa, what about this? Did you know even the word church is an interesting word? The church is ecclesia, which means the called out ones. But the church in Roman times represented the emperor's cabinet. Those that ruled the empire of Rome with the empire, with Caesar. That was the church. So when Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he was simply saying, I'm going to put my cabinet together that's going to rule with me in the kingdom. Okay? Now, 
It's interesting because if Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is he the King of kings and Lord of lords over? So in other words, uh, he's the King of kings, big K, small K, um, big L, little L. See, we're the kings that subject ourselves to him, but we rule and reign with him. A couple of the scriptures, we're going to bring this to close. Romans 5.17. For if, because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, so that's something you can take hold of now. We can reign in life through Jesus Christ. You don't have to have circumstances reigning over you. You don't have to have sickness and disease reign over you. You don't have to have fear reign over you. You don't have to have doubt and confusion reign over you. You can reign in life through Jesus Christ. Those things don't have to control and dominate your life anymore. Fear is defeated in my life. I will not let fear dominate or rule me. Okay, I could get, say a whole lot of other things and make a list. Make you list. What do you need to reign over right now? What addiction do you need to reign over right now? Name it and claim your freedom in Christ Jesus. Small the great. Think of the baby Jesus, just a small little baby. God wants to bring you from small to great. The journey is one of humility. Job 8, 7 says, And though your beginning was small, your later days will be very great. I want to speak that word over you because there's greatness in you. God has called you to greatness. He's called you to greatness. Worship team can come up at this time. And as they come up, I want to ask you the question, how did the people respond to the birth of Jesus in his day? Well, we're somewhat familiar with that narrative, right? But the question we need to ask is how do we respond to the birth of Jesus in our day? How do we respond? We understand that there is the biblical narrative of the event and the effect of the event. The birth of Jesus was the entry point into this world for God's salvation plan, for his salvation plan to be uh, carried out, to be executed so that redemption could be finished. I want to make this statement. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Every heart is a throne. Every heart is a throne. The question is, who or what is sitting on the throne of your heart? What have you elevated above Jesus in your life? Don't make the same mistake as Herod did. He failed to recognize that Jesus is king. He failed to recognize to surrender all control of his life to who was born king. 
Are you willing to give Jesus complete control of your life? I call that a garden of Gethsemane encounter. When we come to that place as Jesus did, and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. A place of full and complete surrender to the will of God. Are you willing to turn from the things that hinder you and you walk with God to turn from those things and to surrender your heart to the King? Are you ready to focus fully on Jesus and decide to put Him on the throne of your heart today? Now I'm speaking to believers. Maybe there's some people that have not yet put their faith in Jesus. Those that are listening online, maybe you've not put your faith in Jesus. But whether you have or have not, the question I'm asking you, is Jesus able to rule on the throne of your heart? Have you given him permission? Have you yielded your life to him and allowed him to have that rightful place? Maybe you're still seating sitting there but it's time for you to move aside and let Jesus take that place I want you just to take a moment and bow your heads if you're here today and you say Pastor I've never really surrendered to Jesus I've never really allowed him to to be placed on, on the throne of my heart I've not invited him to sit there I've not surrendered myself to him I want to give you that opportunity wherever you're at and you walk with God maybe there's some things you need to surrender even though you've been walking with God but I give you that opportunity in this moment you might say pastor would you pray for me I know that I've not lived for God but I'm determined now to surrender my life to him and to make him king lift your hand that's you. You're inviting him to be on the throne of your heart. Okay. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you would, everyone can pray this prayer together with me. And I call this believer's prayer. As we surrender and submit ourselves to him and, and make Jesus the Lord of our life. Pray after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You were born into this world as a king. And now you are on the throne, ruling and reigning. But now I invite you to rule and reign in my heart. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I invite you into my heart to be the Lord of my life. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent and I turn my life to you. Make my life what you want it to be. I surrender now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father, I pray for everyone in this auditorium and those that are tuned in online that you would reveal yourself 
that you would show us, Father, that we have access into your presence. For once we have surrendered our life to you, you said we're made brand new. We become new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. Thank you for your new life. Thank you, Father, for having given us an opportunity to be connected to you, to come into your presence, to have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to worship God in the song together. We're going to have the prayer team come up in just a little bit as we close the service. But realize that God has so much more for you. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. Allow him to rule your life. See, he won't assume leadership on your throne, the throne of your heart. You have to welcome him and invite him to do that because he's given you a free will. You need to surrender to him completely and fully. And I can promise you that things are going to change in your life. And the seeds of greatness and the destiny that he's called you to will be fulfilled. God bless you. Let's stand together. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.